Hi there. Hi, Bert. How are you? I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm good, thank you. Hello, I'm Harry Robinson, and this is the All Out Attack podcast. Do you do you have a camera, or, or are you going to stay on the, the audio? Oh, it's not working currently? Hang on. Let me see what's going on. My guest today is Commander Bert Colucci, a self-proclaimed neo-Nazi and the head of the National Socialism Movement in the US, the largest and most active Nazi group in North America. Is it rolling now? Is it doing it? Yes, it is. Okay, good. There you go. Perfect quality. The NSM itself is officially classified as a hate group, with the organization regularly holding rallies where they wear SS uniforms and proudly display banners with the Nazi swastika branded on it. They believe in total white supremacy and, whilst they claim not to incite violence, the aim of the group is to get into power and impose racial policies such as segregation and deportation. Is it cold over there in the UK right now? No, it's boiling, you know. Yesterday it was 21 degrees, which in the UK is is hot and everyone was out getting a tan. And then today it was good. And then it's meant to be snowing on, on the weekend. <laughs> uh, okay. So it's, uh, it's all Send up. some of that snow my way. <laughs> I wanted to sit down with Bert as I wholeheartedly disagree with his abhorrent views. However, I wanted to see if it was possible to conversate without prejudice with someone whose entire belief system is prejudicial. I'd, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I agreed with your views, but I'm not going to get you on here and shout you down and, and you know, be a... <laughs> That's a pleasant surprise, because it seems like whenever we start debating, not all, but it seems like the majority of them, then when they can't break our arguments, they become very angry. In an interview that borders on a long-form debate that contains potentially offensive racial language and some outlandish claims, Bert and I walked the line between rational conversation and sheer bafflement. I hope you enjoy. So, just for context, because uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of my audience is in the UK. We we don't, especially the kind of national socialism and that kind of stuff. It, that's never mentioned in the UK, or there's no real legal parties anyway with that kind of thing, the kind of banner. Um, would you be able to explain what the National Socialist Movement is in your words and what it means to you and what it stands for? Well, the National Socialist Movement in America, I actually picked it up and incorporated it uh, just a couple of years ago from the uh, prior National Socialist Movement, as everybody well knows, has been in the United States for 25, 30 years. Jeff Scoop was running the prior organization based out of Detroit, which we are not the same organization. Uh, we run the same colors. We use the same website address uh, was basically uh, given to us, but um, it is a different organization, essentially. I do things very differently than Jeff Scoop ever ran them. Um, so it's important not to mix the two up. Now, as far as um, what we are and what we espouse here in the United States, we're essentially a white civil rights organization. Um, we see uh, a lot of white people getting kicked around in the United States. And I, I just personally, I have a thing against bullies. I don't like bullies. And I see a lot of white people getting kicked around. And I just happen to be one of those people. So I think that's a lot of what has drawn me into the movement over the years um, is, the, is the bullying and uh, just white people not being allowed to have a voice. And it's gotten to be more and more prominent here. I'd say probably I, I see it the last 10 years and I see white people getting angrier and angrier and some of them are going out and doing things, uh, i.e. these shootings and stuff like that, doing radically bad things. 
And I, I don't believe that this is the correct way to um, vent that anger, but some people just, they feel like they're in a corner and don't know what else to do. And um, I, I'm trying to get them to find legal means to vent their frustration and their anger and go out there and say what they want to say, um, do it in a legal fashion um, and try to get them on the right path. What's the aim for the legal means? What kind of legal means? Uh, we do uh, legal public protests uh, when we're allowed to do them. It seems like there's uh, an ongoing thing. Uh, the First Amendment in the United States, freedom of speech, obviously, and they, they seem to be, uh, when I say they, I say the Jewish community, um, Jewish supremacists in America and international Jews, they seem to have this thing about um, wanting to do everything they can and put every roadblock in our way, um, trying to not allow us to speak what we want to say uh, in a legal fashion. Uh, for example, when we try to do protests, like here more recently, they're telling us now, uh, pretty much every court in America has ruled that the organizations like ours have the right to go out there and um, express free speech as long as they don't say anything illegal. It's pretty, pretty well every court, there's case law on that, uh, that goes back years and years. So as a result of that, what they try to do more recently here is they try to tell us, okay, you guys have free speech, you have that right, but now if you show up, you have to have millions of dollars worth of insurance to have these events in case Antifa trashes the place. Well, this is what I would call a heckler's veto, where they're afraid that our enemies are going to do damage, you know, to a park or an area or a riot or what have you. And so they're, they're basically stepping on our rights so other people can express theirs. And that should, that technically is illegal also. Uh, it's not our responsibility to make sure that other people that come into cities, when we exercise our voice and our rights, um, it doesn't mean uh, they have the right to step on ours. So um, it, it's not right, but this is what they're doing currently. So as a result of that, we've got to uh, circumvent, I guess would be the word, and try to figure out a way around that because we don't have thousands and millions of dollars to go to court every time you know, these people do something, the cities, the, the counties and the states do something which they know is illegal. They know it's a violation of civil rights, but we can't afford to go and take them to court every single time they do something that they're, they know they're not supposed to be doing, but they try to get away with it anyway. Do you not feel that's part and parcel of the, the views that you express are obviously provocative? And I mean, I had to, I had to read through the website and, and some of the stuff, as someone who doesn't, doesn't follow that, that kind of mindset, uh, I mean, there was a line that said that, that black people were essentially apes and that they had different brains um and and you know the, the jewish conspiracy and that kind of stuff um do you not think that's part and parcel of when you say something so radical and and offensive i mean as much as you'll say it's protected by your first amendment right mm -hmm. that you're going to get a radical response back because of how offensive it is well the truth fears no investigation. That's what uh, Adolf Hitler always preached. And I believe that's true today as well. Um, these people, if everything we're saying is so stupid and it's so outlandish and ridiculous, why do they get so angry about it? I mean, these people, they start, I mean, this is a problem, whether we're around or not is irrelevant. This is a problem in the United States. Um, they're burnt, they've burned Seattle, they've burned Portland, they've rioted, they've destroyed the cities and no organization like ours was anywhere to be found. These are just things that they're doing. And um, so when we go out there and we basically want to throw a BS flag and say, you know, hey, this isn't right. You shouldn't be doing this there. And they, you know, the Jewish politicians want to, you know, basically say, no, no, no. They have a right to go out there and protest peacefully. They have a very warped idea 
of what peaceful protesting is compared to our, our idea of peaceful protesting is just going out there. Uh, the Supreme Court of the United States, Justice Kennedy has said, no matter how offensive something is, hate speech is free speech. That's verbatim. So we have the right to go out there and, and say what we want to say, even if it pisses other people off. Now, we're not allowed to act on that hate. You can't go out there and beat people up, obviously. You can't do anything of that nature. But we have the right to say it. And the highest court has said so in the country. But there's this thing today in the United States where they think because, because of the Jewish media and everything else, they think that because somebody says something offensive that it gives them the right to just go up to somebody and beat the crap out of them. And this is a bad thing that they do that because I don't agree with everybody that speaks out there um, per se. Now, a lot of people say a lot of things that I would construe to be offensive. It doesn't give me the right to go up there and beat them up though, just because I don't you know, agree with what they're saying. It's, I just blow it off, walk away and said, hey, I don't agree with that. And if I wanna say something about it, I can. And if I don't, I just walk away and I, that guy's a nut job, the heck with him. Give me your thought on this because as a, as a Brit, Obviously, we don't have uh, a constitution per se. We don't have a written bill of rights or anything. We don't have amendments. That's a little different. Uh, yeah, and the the idea for me having, um, you know, what you might you might uh, disagree, but you know what many people term as hate speech or or you know the stuff that that actively riles people up and, and hurts people. Uh, to, for that to be pr almost protected in a law from hundreds of years ago baffles me a bit. Do you not think that it, there's, it's flawed in a way, that this kind of idea that there's a law that allows people to say whatever they want, despite the fact that it's considered... And you might see it from the other side, you know, with, with people saying stuff towards you. Do you not see that... Do you not think that there might be a bit of a flaw in, like, the First Amendment? I don't think so, um, personally, because these people have the right to say the same things in reverse to us that we're saying to them. I think where we're coming at an impasse is that, this is just my opinion, that what we're saying is actually the truth. And th there's that old saying that we, we espouse all the time. It's if you want to make a person on the right side of politics angry, you just lie to them. If you want to make somebody who's on the left side of politics angry, you just tell them the truth. And there's a lot of truth to that statement because we're constantly going out there and saying, preaching things that we, that we personally construe to be the truth. And these people just, they lose their minds. I mean, they absolutely lose their minds. It just, and, and if we, we, you know, the media here in the United States is constantly asking us, why don't you just sit down and have a civilized dialogue with them? Okay, we can do that. I guarantee it's not going to end well though because they will not be able to break our facts. And they, 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 when they can't spin it, they just wanna hear one thing, that we concede, that we see things their way, and we can't just agree to disagree. And that's a problem. So I, and to answer your question, I think that um, the constitution and the way the Supreme Court has interpreted, I think it's right. I think people just, they're not going to agree with everything we say. We're not gonna agree with everything they say, but they can walk away. And if that's offensive, if they're that big of a babies about it, I mean, I, I think the people that, actually wrote that law might've been larger uh, men and women mentally. And they're just like, ah, oh, you know, like I said earlier, you can just walk away and ignore it if you don't like it. I kind of, I understand your point of view. I think to, to brand people as babies after calling them apes or saying that the black children are, 
are, are built or engineered for crime. I, I feel, I think people a lot, a lot, you know, more mentally screwed in than babies would, would be upset by that. Do you, do you get, do you see the problem in, in that though? Or the only problem I see in it is that it's true. And that's sad. And that's unfortunate that it's true. When, when you say that, though, that sounds like you're sympathetic for the, I, I mean, you know, to put it out there, I don't believe that it is true. But when you say it's sad that it's true, that sounds like you're sympathetic towards the black population that isn't it sad how they're, they're not as good as us. They're not. And why that reason is, I, I can't explain it, but... I can, I've been around, I would say, if I say tens of thousands of what we would call African-American people. And um, I, I am an Italian-American. My family, I'm actually fourth generation born Italian, uh, born here in the United States. And um, I can actually go back to Italy right now in Europe, and I would be welcomed with open arms uh, by my family and by the locals over there in Italy. Um, if you were to take a black African-American and send them back to Africa today, they hate them. I've seen it right here in the United States. They hate these people. They embarrass them. Um, they fight with each other like cats and dogs. It's the uh, craziest thing I've ever seen. And it, it's understandably so. These are, these are big children who they're trying, the, the Jew is trying to prop them up to be something that they were not meant to be. Now, if if black people were geniuses, if they were the Werner von Braun's or could do the things, invent the things that white people have contributed to society, I would be like, yeah, you guys are screwed up. You're just being racist. You just don't like the color of their skin. You don't like the differences, but they are contributing nothing to society. And the Jew is saying that they are everything. And this I, is what's making people angry. I disagree with that because I mean, the, if you look through history, the 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 root of, of wealth and knowledge and innovation, I mean, originally was in the Middle East. You you go a bit further, and it was it was in uh, India. So there's all these ethnic groups that are, that are you know uh, flourishing. I mean, you go way way back, and uh, you know Africans such as the Egyptians were were creating languages and stuff like that. I, I mean, with most white innovations you could probably trace it back to innovations that were started by ethnic groups so i don't get how that you can argue that they don't i mean i say they i don't consider other ethnic groups as as others i think i feel like that's quite dangerous but the, you're, very, I, you're very cautious about that yeah because i don't want to offend anyone i mean you can I mean, you probably deal with a lot of people, just to level with you, you probably deal with a lot of people every day talking about this. You're very, you don't mince your words. And as an American as well, Americans don't really mince their words because they're all protected by the First Amendment. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I have, I have friends who are from different ethnic backgrounds. Um, I, I talked in, in university, like it's a swathes of multiculturalism, and personally, I really enjoy it. I, I mean, it, in Britain, in Britain, all our culture is multicultural because we don't really have culture of our own because we robbed it from the rest of the world. I, th I think surely that alone shows that other ethnic groups are contributing to society. Would you not agree? 
No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm not a Brit, so I can't necessarily speak for all Brits, yourself included. But I mean, Great Britain is a beautiful country. It's got a lot of beautiful people in it. Uh, I, I, I don't think that that's fair to say that they went around and stole everything from, from the rest of the world. Is that what they're teaching everybody over there? They, I mean, they don't teach it, and that's the problem. We, I mean, it, it's quite kind of widely accepted that the British Empire colonized. I mean, we still have the Commonwealth. Well, what we did, we went round on a boat, and we went round to every, you know, all these countries, and we stole all the stuff that was they liked the most, and we put it in a museum, and we let them pay to come see it in in London. But and, and show off, look how fantastic this culture is, you know, this African culture, this Arab culture, this this Asian culture. But because we got there first and, and came with brute force, it's now our possession. Well, uh, if even I mean, I'm not sure if that's accurate, but even if it is accurate, I would say. Um, the. The victor will never be asked if they told the truth, just like Hitler said. So you guys would be the most badass force out there. So rightfully so, you deserve to uh, deserve all the spoils. I don't. I. I mean, fair enough. You have your opinion, but I disagree with the level of badassery is is what constitutes stealing possessions from other cultures. But I mean, you know, we're getting off track a bit. I want to. I want to. I do want to touch more on on your organization. Sure. Um, I mean, you feel free to, I, I don't want to come across as patronizing and ask you easy questions or whatever, but I want to try and provide context and shoot me down. if I'm wrong. Ask, ask me anything you like. Like I said, I'm an open book. So I've got a million billion dollar Jewish conglomerates. I can't break my arguments. So, I mean, this is uh, not, nothing against you. This is, this isn't a problem. No, I'm, I'm, I, if you, if you can think of it, I've probably already been asked it. We'll just put it like that. Well, I mean, a question you've probably been asked time and time again, do you consider yourself or your organization uh, a neo-nazi organization yes are you proud of the term nazi or neo-nazi i personally am yes you could ask different people different things in the organization and you, it's very possible you're going to get a different answer but i i, I wear that very proudly because um, obviously the, the flag of the of the nsm proudly brandishes the, the swastika on the front of it mm-hmm. uh and it, and it has, I think the uniform has the, the Stormtrooper SS uh, kind of Thunderbolt logo on it. Some or, of them do, yes. Them, very, yeah. very select few. I mean, the the, the, the Stormtroopers were, were death squads that, that ran concentration camps. Do you not... I mean, re- regardless of, of your of your views, you, you try and come across... Or try and put across, put across your views in a legal way and a you know, with, with like these kind of protest, not protests, uh, rallies and marches. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you not see the kind of danger with associating yourself with a, a group that, that famously committed one of the biggest mass genocides in history? Um, well, the problem with that, that is you're, you're presuming that you know um, what actually happened what you know post uh, world war ii with the nazis and truth of the matter is is i don't know you don't know nobody really knows we know what we've been told about it we know uh the videos that we've been seeing but problem is is none of us was there people Uh, are alive with people who were there are still alive now and 
I mean, few and far between because of the time difference, but but there are people who are sons and daughters of people who were in Auschwitz, in Birkenau, in, in Dachau, who are walking the streets now and will tell you everything. You know, my, my mum had a tattoo on her arm and it had her number and she had her head shaved and my uncle was gassed. That, that, that is fact. It seems like everybody has a relative that escaped from one of these camps. That's the I, first thing that raises a question. I mean, I don't, but I, I, we, we had someone who came into our primary school to talk about it, uh, who, who was, uh, was there. I, I, I mean, I have friends who've been to Auschwitz. You can go to Auschwitz mm-hmm. and you see the gas chambers and see the shoes on the floor. Is that not definitive proof? No, it's definitely not. Why isn't it? I mean, I'm curious. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, to shoot down, but why, why is it? I'm not trying to say that it did or didn't happen. A lot of people, a lot of white nationalists, uh, people who are in a movement such as mine and others, will immediately jump to the fact, oh, no, no, it's a lie. It's a lie. And I'm not on board with that either. So I want to make that very clear uh, right out of the gates. Um, my position of it is, is that I can't differentiate what happened there. I, I can't, I, I do know for sure, and the Americans and allies, the Brits, the Russians have openly admitted that they, they bombed supply lines, food supply lines. So that would explain why everybody was starving. And it wasn't just the people in the camps that were starving. Everybody in Germany was starving. The people were starving. You can see there's video footage of people in Berlin, German citizens that are out there. There's dead horses laying in the street and they're cutting off pieces of meat. I mean, this was a world, you know, a, a world, I say a, a nationwide famine is what was going on there. So that would explain why everybody was so skinny. But when I look at the the other things there that happened in those camps, the chimneys not being attached to the buildings, the Germans had to be some of the most inefficient. They were so efficient at everything else. They had to be the most inefficient killers. It seems like everybody had, you know, I, I seem, you know, you knew a lot of the other camps, but a lot of people, they, they can't even name off the other camps. The only one they know is Auschwitz. They don't know Treblinka. They don't know Birkenau. They don't know none of these other names. And, and so that combined with the fact that, um, um, it, it seems like this whole thing was staged to us. And I can't differentiate what is a lie and what is the truth. And that was back in 1945. Now, fast forward to 2001, we've got 9-11 here in the United States. And then we've got people that are saying that that was a conspiracy. This was just back in 2001, 20 years ago. And people are saying that the government blew up the buildings, there was no planes. And you got other people saying that uh, the, the, the government paid these Arabs to fly these planes in these buildings. And now here we are back to square one, just like with the death camps, quote unquote, we don't know what happened because everybody's telling so many lies. You know, we heard other lies that some Jewish guy had an insurance policy and he paid these Arabs to fly them into the buildings. What's fact and what's fiction? I can't tell. I, I think there's a difference between a conspiracy about 9-11 which I mean, we I I'd argue we live in a conspiracy culture today, where a million and one things will come out, and 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 people will make stuff up because it seems convenient, and and we'll look for for things in videos that look like skulls or something. Um, but but in terms of the firstly the level of of kind of stagery and forgery that would have had to gone to fake killing. I mean, there are, there are direct co- quotes by by Hitler and Himmler, especially Himmler, about uh, exterminating the the Jewish uh, the the Jewish race and the final solution. There are they started out killing uh, Jewish people in the back of vans, 
before they they found a more efficient way of, of turning the workers camps into extermination camps i mean i can see by your face you, you disagree with <laughs> with i just it's all hearsay i mean i have i have a problem with hearsay today let alone back from what are we talking 70 80 90 yeah, years ago it's not chinese whispers it's 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 not like you telling someone you know something's happened and then they mishear it there are there are derelict extermination camps and people were there and pe- there are that you can probably find a person walking the streets today who's about a hundred who was in one of those camps i mean you you have anne frank's diary do you know that was, that was written in a ballpoint pen and ballpoint and pens weren't invented until 1952 yes and, well, and anne frank wasn't real I, I just hold nothing of this seems real that's the problem there's so i mean I, i'm just to the point with it where even if it was true I, I mean, I, I, the truth is going to get thrown aside now, unfortunately, because there's been so many lies injected into it. I can't separate what's fact and what's fiction. So I have no choice but to say it's all fiction. It's all lies. But how, how do you believe anything then? The- I believe there was camps. That much is certain. Um, what the motive behind those camps was, I do not know. I would take a guess and say it was to get the Jews that would not leave Germany out of circulation and anybody else that might've been there. I believe that consists of the gypsies, the homosexuals. It looked like that was pretty clear to me. Um, Why it turned out to be a death camp, I have no idea other than it was a wartime. And if that was to happen in Great Britain or America or any country today, I'm sure the food sources would have been thrown to the soldiers who were on the front lines fighting the war, not to the people that were in the country. And so it's everything seemed to support that. As far as whether or not this was some sort of a mass genocide, just to pick on uh, Jews, 6 million of them, I keep on hearing that number at everything, Six always 6 million, that's a very ominous number. They keep on using that number. Wait, I don't think it's ominous. I think it's just a statistic in the same way that, you know, a uh, hundred people went to the shop yesterday I I have I have nothing to really base it on is the problem and I'm not saying that it didn't happen I'm just saying that if it did happen I can't prove it and I don't like nonsense and I don't like uh gray area and slippery slopes when it comes to that but what I do have to base it on is what I see today and the quality of people that I deal with and how the Jew acts today and it, it helps me put into perspective and put the pieces into place as far as what the Germans may have been dealing with back then and gives me a better understanding. And those results are not good. I'll, I mean, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that, but I, I appreciate your, your opinion. Um, well, I want to talk about you, though, as a person. I, I did want to uh, start with that, but we got a bit sidetracked. Um, no what was What was... I mean, you talked about being from a, a family of Italian heritage. What is what was your upbringing like? Not like you would think. Uh, very, very much the opposite of how I turned out. Um, ironically enough, um, the I was raised by my uh, grandparents, and my mother was a single mother. Uh, we I grew up in Western New York in a predominantly white area, which um, was interesting. It, uh, it, it, you would think that, that that would contribute to a lot of the way that I am today and why I think the way I do, but I'd say it's quite the contrary. Would have had the opposite effect on me because I got to see growing up a lot of the, um, the problems with white people and what makes them not so perfect either. You know, everything from getting into fights with other white children, et cetera, et cetera. 
So um, uh, it, it was uh, my grandparent, my grandfather fought in World War II. He was an, on the American side. Um, he, they had left Italy in 1929, uh, just before the outbreak of World War II. He would have been three years old at that time, born in 1926. He was drafted into the U.S. Army, fought against the Germans um, during the war. And, um, and the he, Italians to most extent. Sorry. And the Italians to a lot of extent, I imagine. I don't think he was directly involved against the Italians, but you know, the entire world was, you know, World War II was, you know, access for his allies. So yes, it would have been quite awkward to have an Italian American who just left the country, you know, 15 or 20 years earlier, go fight against Italians, but stranger things have happened. But I don't think that was the situation in his case. I think he was actually um, on the outskirts of Berlin. So it would have been pri primarily Germans. Um, and he didn't really have an active frontline uh, role in that. He was more of a logistic supply type person, truck driver, much as myself. So I do see some pictures. Uh, we've still got them to this day. Interestingly enough, he brought back German currency and there's pictures of him um, standing there with a, an M1911 uh, handgun in front of the bombed out remnants uh, in some of the cities there. So they're pretty fascinating pictures, but um, to, we always laugh about that though. We always say, you know, my grandfather fought against the Germans in World War II. A lot of people ask me that, the media especially, they're like, well, how do you think they're, you feel about his grandson running the largest neo-Nazi organization in America today? And uh, my answer to that would be uh, what, how I saw my grandfather react in the later years of his life. Uh, it was very different. Um, a lot of people thought that they were fighting for the right thing. I mean, uh, let's be fair. I mean, you know better than anybody as a Brit. You know, you're just, Germany's a lot closer to you than it is to us. So, you know, what the British people must have been thinking in America here, I think the general consensus during that time was uh, there's this guy that's going to come into America and he's going to kill everybody who doesn't have blonde hair and blue eyes, which is completely mental. But that's what a lot of people think. We didn't, you know, there's obviously no internet back then or anything like that. So, um, but there were a lot of Americans that uh, wanted to make peace with Hitler. So, you know, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, I guess you might say. What, how, what Americans were wanting to make peace with Hitler? Oh, there, there was a lot. Um, there was protests. Um, so a lot of people, and not, not even so much that they were sympathetic in the beginning uh, to the Nazis. It's just, I, I think they, they didn't want to be involved in another European war at that time. That was the big thing. Um, they had had a gut full of it after World War I. And when World War II uh, came around, uh, President Roosevelt was just chomping at the bit to get involved in that war. Uh, and, and help England, but uh, a lot of the American people didn't want to do it. And we actually had uh, a lot of Nazi camps, uh, big ones, sitting up here in the United States uh, before the um, United States went to war with Germany. And uh, as a big thing out on the West Coast, uh, California and uh, the East Coast as well, in New York City, they had um, uh, the gentleman, um, Fritz Kuhn, he, he uh, spoke at Madison Square Garden in New York City. So it, it was quite a big ordeal up there. So uh, Nazism was kind of you know, 50-50 here in the United States at the time. Yeah. I guess, guess uh, so not, maybe it's not 50-50 today, but there's a lot more people listening today. So it's interesting where, where the United States seems to be uh, kind of balanced when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that probably comes from the, the further as well. You get away from the, the, the mindset of World War II. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when people aren't alive or have grandparents that fought in it, people start to not associate with it much anymore and then and then fall back into those uh, those kind of values but you you were talking about your upbringing so mm -hmm. um so it was it was a a, a cultural italian household with a with a, an army veteran in 
Yes, but it didn't come off that way at all. Um, you, you would never, if you didn't ask, you would never know that my grandfather was ever in World War II. So it was just, uh, it was just a couple of two, three short years. It wasn't anything serious. Um, and, uh, but yeah, you could tell uh, it was, it was culturally Italian. There was a lot of Italian food there. And uh, um, it was a pretty quiet town that we lived in. So I didn't realize it at the time, but it was, it was kind of a sheltered life because um, up the road, we, we had a city. Uh, it was called Niagara Falls. Um, you've probably heard of that city before, you know, the, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big falls is, and, you know, we, we would go there and um, there was a lot of crime there. There was a lot of blacks there. And my grandfather, even uh, post-World War II, the United States government was trying to push a lot of people of color into positions there because um, he worked on construction after the war and he would bring them in and they would screw up the jobs. They, he would have all sorts of problems with him and political correctness uh, would set in and his bosses would come up to him and ask him, why um, are you sending the black people away? And he would, his answer to that would be that they have no skills. They cannot do the job, they cannot get it done and they cannot get it done properly and are compromising everybody's safety on the job site and um, compromising quality as well. I may have put that a little more technical than it actually was at the time, but that's that's the gist of it. And um, he and his answer to that was, well, if you can send me people who have skills and can do this job properly, I will use them regardless of what color they are. And they could not. They kept on wanting to send black people there who had no skills. I don't know if it was because they were cheaper, if it was political correctness or both possibly, but it just was not working. And uh, over the years, my grandfather just really had a gutful of that. He had enough of it. He was tired of dealing with it. And uh, the last thing I remember happening was when we moved to Florida here, I would have been a teenager at the time. That was when the whole Alien Gonzalez thing happened and the Cubans were coming in on rafts and uh, all sorts of manners of things that they could get to the United States from Cuba on fleeing communism in Cuba. And uh, they're still doing it to this day. And uh, you could, you could, I could tell, I, you know, we had conversations with my grandmother about that. My grandmother would say, well, they have no place to go. You know, they just want somewhere where they can get away from communism. And uh, where are they supposed to go? And uh, my grandfather and I just both looked at her and said, that's their problem. If communism is so great, let them stay in Cuba. Don't come here and don't bring it here. Can, can I bring up a point that, that I read on the, the website that kind of relates to that? So, so you saying that's their problem. There, there was a point on the website that basically said that the reason that one of the reasons that, that white people were superior to especially black people was that black people can't develop empathy for whatever reason they're not empathetic people but white people are the you saying that's their problem is the antithesis of having empathy for them i don't think that they're i don't know why they don't and i can't explain why they don't but um i can see it they they don't um how do i word this when they're out there attacking people they don't seem to care you can see these people they're clearly in pain and they 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 think they're superior in some cases they may be physically, but they don't seem to care that they're, or understand one of the two that they're inflicting harm and pain on other people. And that's very disturbing that they're apathetic like that. I, like I said, I can't explain why I don't know what makes them tick. Uh, I do see that same pain though in white people. And actually, you know, furthermore people uh, who may not necessarily see white, I see it in Asian people. I see it in uh, Indian people, but I don't see it in black African-Americans. And uh, that's disturbing. Would you say that you have empathy then? Yes, I would say so. Is 
but isn't saying, well, that's their problem about the, the Cubans trying to get to America, isn't that? I think that's that's having enough of it, of something. When we say something like that, it's like, look, we've tried to be nice. We've tried to be understanding. Now you're just coming in and you're taking advantage and you're bullying. And that touches on what I said earlier. We will not be bullied. Do you have empathy for black people? To an extent, I think my um, patience has definitely been pushed to the edge with specifically African-Americans. I would venture to say I am more so apathetic to them anymore just because of everything that's happened. See, I mean, from, from my worldview, I mean, it's very, it's very easy for people to say that they don't see color. And, and, uh, and, I, and I mean that from a sense of the fact that Sometimes it's important to see color, to, to see the backgrounds and maybe the struggles that people have, have had to go through because of their color. You might disagree of what of the struggles that people have had to. Oh, I, I would agree. The um, but if I speak, if I see a person, say if there's if I have a if I'm having lunch with a, a person who happens to be of African heritage, I wouldn't go. There's a black person. I just go. There's a person, and he just happens to be black. Could you not take empathy on a person by person basis or is it like well one black person has committed a crime somewhere so this black person isn't worth my time well i think that's what we have to do at this point even with all our protected rights in the united states i mean i just can't go out there and start hollering racial epithets every time i see a black i could but then the police are going to get called and uh, i could get charged with disorderly conduct so there's a whole slew of things that's probably going to happen now what do i feel comfortable having a person of color around me that isn't bothering me not really. It's it's not so, really something that I want. Uh, but we're told constantly here in America and to some extent in England that we're free, but we cannot go somewhere where I don't have to deal with Black people. But I just want to point out one thing. I find it very interesting. I just did an interview um, with a girl from Australia, and um, she she was kind of doing it, she was doing the same thing like what you're doing. I'm not getting anything on it. She's just it, it was always with black people. It's never with any other race out there. It's always black. I just I can, I'm trying to get a handle on that. I know I I I I think it's more the fact that you're American and the the narrative that gets pushed, I mean not pushed. Uh, obviously the the civil rights movement for for black people in America was very prominent. And it's something that I get taught about in schools, despite me not not being from America. Um, there isn't. I, there, there was probably a, a, a Jewish civil rights movement in places that's not in the the kind of like forefront of people's minds. And also, if you go on the website, as it, I mean, I was prepping for for the interview, and on the website, there's a thing about the Jewish question and and. And, you know, people saying that it, there's a Jewish conspiracy. I think saying that Jewish people have loads of power is a lot less offensive than saying black people have small brains and look like apes. <laughs> if you get what I mean. Which is yes, more... it would probably be less offensive, but both are true. I'll disagree with you there. But the, the I, I, I think the, the, the black, uh, your, your views on, on black people I think are the ones that people will go to because if, if you tell a Jewish person, well, loads of you are really successful, <laughs> they're not going to be as offended as if you if you went to a black person, well, your kids are wired to commit crime. or That's because Jewish people are wired to fight. They don't have the physical attributes that black people have. Many people are 
it, it's not that they're sympathetic. They're, they're it's uh, uh, th that they want to. They're, they're virtue signaling is what they're doing. So they're, they're rather than a attacking the black people who they know will probably kick their asses, they're going to attack us because there's less of us. Who's actually right though? They're more afraid of them. I'm sorry. They're more afraid of yeah, of them than they would be us. So that that's a disturbing trend as well. That that gets back to what I would classify as bullshit. I don't understand this kind of. I mean, you know, the, pick me up if if if, I, if it's against what you believe. But I don't understand this kind of grouping. Of well, there's there's some there's a lot of Jewish people who are billionaires, so all Jews are in this massive conspiracy against the white people. There's a couple. There's 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 some black people that commit crimes, so all black people commit crimes. But then for the same reasoning, could I not say that most pedophiles are white men? So why aren't you a pedophile? Yeah, there are some. There are. I'd say the majority probably are white. Um, but here's the problem that um, that the white people in the United States, I should say black people, pardon me, consist of somewhere between 16 and 18% of the population, but they're roughly making up 78 to 85% of the crime. So that's a disturbing trend. So it's like they have a racial commitment to crime. It, it, do, do, does that, I, I mean, again, you'll probably disagree, but does that not show a, a institutional racism in the system? So you're telling me if somebody discriminates against me, that that automatically gives me a license to go out there and commit crime? I mean, no, these, no, no, these no. Aren't, these I'm, aren't I'm, things that are in question that these people are doing. I'm talking about the fact that uh, the, I mean, f firstly as well, there are there. It, I think it's more of a class thing because if you divvied it up into class, it'd be more lower working class people are in prisons than upper class people. Just so happens that a lot of lower class areas in America, I imagine, I've not been, mm -hmm. uh, but through the media are made up of, of black people, especially through through the 80s with Reagan and this kind of, you know, a lot of black people in poverty. I mean, th there was a there was a quote on the website that base that said um, whites easily solve problems related to daily tasks, finding workable solutions quickly. Uh, it must be extremely embarrassing and frustrating for blacks who must struggle on a daily basis, even with the simplest tasks, just uh, such as just living in a modern civilized society, which is created by whites. So it's there it says that the whites created the society. It would make sense if white people created the society, then it's leaning towards white people and against other ethnic groups. Well, then that just reinforces our narrative, then, doesn't it? That they're not a good fit to be here and that they should go back to Africa and embrace their societies with their mud huts and their sticks that they've created over there. I mean, am I right? Uh, no, not at all. No, that's the first thing. Let them come here and destroy ours, right? No, that's the first thing you've said that has caught me aback. I, again, I want to. I want to talk to you. I, I, I no, like. This, right. I fine. like this. I like this verbal debate. The that like today as as a, as a as a journalist, I did an interview today with a Ugandan politician. Uh, I'm doing a piece on on Ugandan politics, and those guys are very interesting. I had some time with the Ugandan army when I was in Iraq, and those guys—they're very, very disciplined. Well, I, it was it was a, a an opposition politician, uh, um, yeah, an, an op lead, member of the opposition, mm -hmm. uh, was very clued up. Talked about some of the inner city bits of Uganda. I mean, I know people in in Zimbabwe as well as Zimbabwe that you have. Um, Bulawayo and you have Harare and they're built up city areas 
that's not mud huts and sticks. And the places that are kind of barren are were once thriving with culture and then the entirety of Africa was colonised and divvied up. I think the only place in, in Africa that wasn't owned by a European nation was Somalia. Every other, and we, you can see that by the, if you look at Africa and you look at the borders, some people in, uh, I think it's the, it was the Munich um, meetings or whatever, they just got a ruler and they just went like that with all these straight lines. This is this country, this is this country, this is ours, this is ours. And then robbed their their culture. If you go to Namibia, there's loads of German architecture there. Surely that, I mean, firstly, that again, that, that goes against the point, I believe, that you're saying that they all live in mud huts. But also the, the places that are, you know, financially derelict, and, and socially derelict are a byproduct of colonization, of white colonization. Would you agree with that? I, I can't, I don't know about the facts you just stated, but I'll take your word for it as far as the uh, white intervention in those locations. Um, I do know that um, places like Zimbabwe, uh, which would have been called priorly Rhodesia, mm. that was pr primarily run by white people and they slaughtered the white people that were there and now they can't get farmers to come back into that country. And now it's massive famine in those countries. Now they're trying to do the same thing with South Africa. They've displaced all the white people there. And what's happening now is, is they're taking and taking and the South American government is falling. They're pushing white people into ghettos there. And the white people are the people that made the difference. The white people are the ones that built that place. The white and, people were also the ones that created the apartheid though? Yes. I mean, I, I, I don't know why I brought that up because I know we have this different opinion and I, I, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I imagine you agreed with apartheid. Or, if it worked, I agreed with it. So if something works, I'm going to agree with it. I mean, fundament fundamentally, it didn't work in on a racial equality standpoint. No, it definitely didn't because it rewarded the people who did all the work and the ones that made a contribution and, and society today seems to have a real problem with that. They see people who do better than them and they become envious and jealousy of them. And then they want to take by force everything that they've worked for. Well, it wasn't the people that did better than them though. It was white people that were put into a position of power through colonization. And then there, there was more white people in, in these, these countries. So what, what do you think South Africa looked like before the white people got there? Black you people. Think it was a, you think it was this giant city with skyscrapers and high rises, like no, no looks like because because the the places with money, the white European empires, put people in power who are white, who then don't pay the black people enough and run and and build oh, this place. Okay. And then well, what were the black people doing there then? If the black people are so bad, this is what we deal with today. Everywhere they go, they say white people are so racist, we're so horrible, but then they want to follow us everywhere. We go every time some, we get a white neighborhood, it's a beautiful neighborhood, and then all these black people want to marry a white, black men want to marry a white woman, move into a white neighborhood. Why? Because they know it's safe. They know it's clean. They know it's well kept. And you know why it is so? Because there are no black people there. Do you think the the, the white people, sorry, the black people in, in South Africa welcome the white people with open arms i honestly don't know the answer to that they, they didn't <laughs> know that for a fact I, I would i would put a lot of money on it i know in other countries they certainly didn't in, in africa i mean i'm not, not clued up as much on south african 
history, but I know other parts of Africa, they did not welcome white colonization with open arms. And that is why so many, there was the winds of change in Africa in the 50s, where so many uh, countries rejected their colonization and got their independence back. So what you're basically telling me is, is that these black people could have done all of these things without the white intervention. In time, yeah. Well, the, 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 the thing is that the white European empires, uh, you know, sailed around, robbed loads of stuff <laughs> and, and got very wealthy and demolished some cultures. I mean, look at India in the 1800s. I think at the start, no, the start of the 18th century, India was the richest country in the world. Then the British came and we took all their their opium and, you know, they took all their, their minerals and gave them tea and cricket, which we, tea we'd robbed off the Chinese anyway. And then now... Robbed or bartered? That's not the same thing. Well, mate, but when I mean robbed, I mean it in a colloquial sense of tea's become this British staple and it's not British. I didn't mean steel in that sense. But re- regardless, that's that's by the by. India now has one of the highest levels of poverty in, in the world. You've got Dharavi, which is the largest homeless settlement in the world, based in India. It has a million homeless people there. That was not there. <laughs> so that's white people's fault as well. Yes, 100%. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's completely daft. Because we went there and took all the money. <laughs> And we took. If you, if you go, and it was, it was, it was. It's the flip side. If you have a country like uh, France, right? France is a, a white country. If you know the great big empire of Angola came and took all the money out of France, and you know Angola would look great and France would look bad, but France is full of white people. Shouldn't it be like doing dead well? No, because all the money and resources have been robbed by another empire. They have not been robbed. They've been traded, and if they got a shitty deal, that's their fault. Now, that would be no different than me going out and buying a house that I pay $200,000 for. Then I find that same house or a better house down the road that costs $150,000 and I already made the deal. That's me complaining about something after the fact. I already made the no, deal. I already I agreed to the deal. I agreed no, to the that, terms of the The deal. house didn't sail on a big boat with loads of guns. I'm just using it as an example. I'm just, you know, in, in, in context to deals. Uh. I, I, I disagree with that because we Do you um, think all the deals should be fair across the board for everybody. I mean, what you've just described there is a perfect, I, I know the world's not perfect, but that's what people would want is, is deals to be fair across the board. But it wasn't a deal because we didn't go with the Indians, like, you know, give us all your minerals. For, we, we took over and colonized it the whole country and that that's what leads to at the tip um, of a sword yeah we went we went to we, we with with ships i mean uh, it is uh, uh, regardless i mean uh, that's me talking as a brit i'm very much not proud of the british empire and, and us going around robbing stuff um well whether that fact is true or not you are a brit and you should be proud of that no no no, because I'm an I'm an American, and I yeah. obviously what I'm doing is controversial. I'm waving a swastika here in the United States, which is uh, some could construe that as very anti-American, but I still consider myself to be an American nonetheless. I'm proud of my country, and 
um, everything that it espouses. I don't always agree with everything that it does, but uh, well, I'm never going to say I'm not proud to be an American. Let's talk. Let's talk about that from a from a movement point of view. Maybe, maybe taking it away from the debate because you you talk about being proud as an American. Mm -hmm. Am I right to say that under your leadership, the group has become? I mean, I was going to say more Americanized, but maybe more American centric and more patriotic. I don't know if that would be accurate or not. I would say, if anything, I've probably pushed it in the opposite direction. It's become more nationalistic and uh, more uh, more Nazified, if anything, just because, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a registered conservative, uh, registered Republican, I should say, here in the United States, uh, as far as voting goes. Uh, the way I see it, I, I agree with pretty much everything conservatives, i.e. your Trump, Trump supporters, uh, would espouse. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like that, and they think that Trump is the root of all evil and everything else, but um, I don't dislike the guy, uh, per se. I don't always agree with everything he does, but I have more common with, say, somebody like him or your average Trump supporter than anybody. Most of them are, are proud gun owners, Second Amendment, First Amendment. We have share a lot of the same ideals. Where we have a disconnect is, is that when they go out in the streets um, and do stupid things like they did on January 6th, um, the Capitol riots, anything of that nature, um, they, they don't handle things properly. And when Antifa shows up and just completely cleans their clock in the streets, that tells me that they're not prepared. Um, their tactics don't work. Now, Antifa shows up and attacks us. It doesn't matter whether there's five of us or 500 of us. Antifa is going to get their ass kicked every single time. And it doesn't work out that way with the Trump supporters. They wind up getting beat up and attacked for what they believe. So that's the difference between us and them. So we're basically, uh, my, my motto is, is a national socialist is a conservative that grew up. And so when they're willing to take that step, one step further to the right and say, you know what, I'm tired of being labeled uh, a Nazi. Uh, if, you, if you don't care for that word, like I said, I personally don't care, but some people take that offense to that. Um, I'm tired of being branded, more importantly, a racist. Um, I'm tired of being called names and then everybody that's calling these names saying that we're quote unquote tolerant when they've had an, enough of that, then they become what we are now. You, you run about, a, a, it, it's a, you, you know, like a, a national socialist is a, is a Republican that grew up. Did you begin growing up as a Republican and then moved away to it or were you always into the national socialism? I was never even on the right side of politics growing up. My family back uh, all those years ago were Democrats. Um, we were from Western New York, Western New York, and most of New York state is heavily liberal. And it was when I was young, it was always taught that the, the Democrats were basically your blue collar, your working class, and your Republicans were your rich people that were trying to make their living off of the working class people. And there was always a lot of resentment there. I picked it up across my family, how they they didn't like all these Republicans because they, you know, they were the business owners. They were the people who are multimillionaires and they were having to work for them. And I always got that sense of bitterness there because of that. And, and it seems like in the years since that's changed. Now the entire Democratic Party in the United States is basically blacks and Jews and all their shillish, you know, sympathizers. And the people on the right, the Trump supporters are all basically white people. It doesn't matter, not all, but mostly. And it doesn't seem to matter what class, there's no class barriers anymore. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be, at least from my perspective anyway, it seems like it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It seems like everybody kind of fell under the uh, whole Trump supporter conservative category. Do you feel so it's a race shift. barrier instead of a class barrier then? Yes, I think that's fair to say. Is that a good thing? 
uh, overall, if we're trying to achieve what you're, 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 you know, you're kind of, your thinking is, is that you want everybody to kind of get along. And I don't think that you're going to hear any of us on, in our movement disagree. We, nobody woke up one morning and said, Hey, we're just going to go out there and we're just going to hate some black people and some Jews and some homosexuals. Cause we've got nothing else better to do. I think you're seeing it, it's not, um, hatred it's disgust. Is, is what's emanating from this. People are tired of being pushed around by people of color. They're tired of uh, the virtue signaling and the victim card always being played. And it is overdone. Anybody who, who can't see that it's overdone. Uh, if black people were ever um, abused in this country, and it's fair to say that there's probably a time that they were taken advantage of, that has been completely turned on its head now. Now white people are becoming the victims just like they were they are in South Africa. And now white people are getting angry little by little. I, 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 I mean, maybe you can clear it up for me. How do you see the white people are being treated as the victims? Well, the Jews, uh, first off, they fund this sort of thing. So you can go to Charlottesville and you can see what happened to a certain amount of white people there, as opposed to what happened to black people. You had a black person there that showed up with a flamethrower um, and tried to burn the people there that were just trying to exercise their civil rights um, and nothing happened to these individuals. You can see what happened with DeAndre Harris. Um, he went there and he attacked a white nationalist, an old man, um, with a 5D cell mag light, and he got his butt kicked by several white nationalists for doing so. Well, at, at, you mentioned Charlottesville there. I just want to mention that. Were you at Charlottesville when that happened? I was not, no. Do you know people that were? Uh, I, yes, I know quite a few, actually. Was that not... I mean, the, the, the line that's used by most people is that that was essentially cited and was carried out by a white nationalist that the the tragedy that happened in terms of the car driving into all those people do you agree with well, that you gotta you have to remember those are two very different events what happened in charlottesville there and what happened with james alex fields in the car there they seem to be lumped into one category but they were actually from my understanding from everybody was there they were several blocks away from each other when this happened and fields was actually um, trying to leave and he was uh, the part that the media constantly leaves out of the videos is the part where Dwayne Dixon who is a UNC professor uh, University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill he was there with his group called the Redneck Revolt and uh, don't let the name fool you they're very leftist and they had AR-15s there and were threatening to shoot him through the through his vehicle there and if you see you can kind of tell by some of the videos that are online there um, that that is a tight area. There's a lot of one-way streets down there. There's cars parked all over the place. And the guy was facing um, basically two options. He either sits there in his car and gets shot or he plows through the crowd. That shouldn't have been on the road in the first place, which was legally an unlawful assembly because there was no permit issue. I don't, I don't think you can say, well, they shouldn't have been there in the first place because I don't think they would have expected the car to come flying at them. And, and... Oh, why would a car go down the street? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would a car go down the street that has loads of people there? Because that's a street and he was about to get shot. And that's where cars, well, vehicles drive on the street. Though? I mean, I don't know the, the, that yes. side of the story. You know, I, I've seen the video, but the media always cuts that part out. The Jewish controlled media, they cut it out. I've seen this myself. What Jews are cutting it out? The Jews that run the media. I mean, I mean I, I'm not sure if it's different in America, but Rupert Murdoch runs most of the media. He's, is he Jewish? No, he doesn't run the media. Yeah, well, he runs. The he actually sold out. If you're talking about Fox News, he actually sold. No, out. not Fox. I mean, I, mo, I almost all the media in this country is probably owned by Murdoch. A lot of the right wing and the left wing that he owns the Daily Mirror as well. There will be there will be things that the Murdoch owns 
and news international or news corp or whatever in america that's the media if he's either way there was more to the video than what was shown all they show is him the car stepping on the gas and flying through the crowd of people and they show people flying all over the place so there was actually i mean my question would be why were those people in the street when there were sidewalks there what was their because there was loads of people there but in, and it was a it was a and do you understand you understand that that's illegal in the united states that's what's called an unlawful assembly the city of charlottesville would have had to issue permits for an assembly of that size for that many people to show up and blockade a street like that well the, well then they if it's illegal then they get fined they don't get hit by a a, a car speed that's the reason why it's illegal because cars drive down streets it's not rocket science no because cars it 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 was illegal because it would be cause an inconvenience for a car going down the street. It's so not got a guy that's a, so if the people hadn't been there, it blocking the street. And as from what I can tell from the video, there was another vehicle that was blocking the street. So he really had nowhere to go. He ran into the back of those cars that shouldn't have been parked there. But nonetheless, he was about to get shot. Now, if those people had been up on the sidewalks or used the crosswalk like they were supposed to legally, and he would have stepped on the gas, would there have been anybody to hit and run over? I I think it is baffling that you're blaming uh you know a, a car plowing into a group of people on the group of people being there that's like saying if someone gets shot then it's their fault for being in front of the bullet well if you're at a shooting range and you get shot that's one thing because that's they where went, bullets they, were, they went to a, a a crash test site for cars they were at a road they were in a street not the, but cars don't come plowing down the street 60 cars. miles per hour with no like regardless of what's there if it wasn't that fast you can see it in the video. Even I could tell they tampered with that video to make it look. He had his brake lights on. The Jewish media did. Yeah, they did. They, they we could we could pick that apart even on our end. We could see that he has brake lights on. So if he has brake lights on, how in the world is he traveling sixty miles an hour? See what I mean? This is this is what makes us get to asking questions about the Holocaust and all this other stuff that they proclaim as being factual when they insert lies and make adjustments to suit their narrative in there. This is why we don't believe any of it and we just shoo it all aside as, as just pure fiction because it's not true. Okay. If, so are, are, you, are you saying that because there's a, a lack of evidence to prove otherwise then? Well, I'd be hard pressed to say there's a lack of evidence because he's been convicted in court and I was not at those court proceedings. So I'm not um, privy to a lot of the evidence that was presented, nor should I be. I don't see any reason why I should be. Uh, they don't have to prove anything to me. But I'm just saying from, from my perspective, this is what we see. And this is just fueling the fire of what's going on there. So you've got all, you know, people like DeAndre Harris attack people there that are in their location with a 5D cell mag light. Um, he gets his butt kicked by three, four white nationalists, however many, they would beat him with shields and everything, which I tend to agree, they went a little too far. Uh, but nonetheless, he came looking for trouble and he found it. They got 10 years in prison. This guy got a $1 fine and had a bunch of people come out and give him uh, money, which he blatantly wasted on a rap video, I believe it was. Now, in the case of Is Fields- Is that his right to, to spend the money on a rap video though? I guess he could have. It's, it's kind of up in the air as far as that goes. I don't think that's what the people who donated it meant him to do, but uh, I guess you'd have to ask them that. It's their business. I'm, it's neither here nor there. I'm just, you know, making a point that, you know, the money was squalored. That, that's fair enough. Um, I'll, I'll move over. again. I don't want to get on too many tangents because I am. Uh, I, I, I keep on coming back. Oh, to you're, it. Doing, you're doing just fine. I, you know, good questions. All of them. Oh, no, I, I, as, as much as we're disagreeing, I am enjoying the debate and I hope okay. you are. I hope you are too. Yeah, I am. 
but yeah, in, in terms of, I mean, I'm not sure if this is a, a sensitive issue in the thing, but you did mention Jeff, uh, is it Scoop or Scoop. Jeff Show? Right. Yeah, yeah, Scoop. Um, so there was, for context, Jeff, Jeff Scoop is someone who was the former leader who is now a renounced white nationalist. Correct. Um, but when he left, he gave the leadership of the group to James Hart Stern, who was a black man. Could you talk me through how that happened? Yes, uh, I would have actually been uh, the chief of staff at the time, which is the second um, second highest ranking member in the organization of the old NSM Detroit under Jeff Scoop. And um, I had a plan. My plan back then was post Charlottesville. Um, what I wanted to do was actually uh, mobilize. The NSM had no uh, political prisoners, if whatever you want to call them, but at, white nationalists call them political prisoners. We'll just call them people who were incarcerated in Virginia at that time, post Charlottesville. No NSM member had ever been accused of violence or charged with violence. So there was really nothing uh, being gained or lost uh, by being in Virginia. Um, nonetheless, there were other organizations out there that did have people that were incarcerated um, in, in Charlottesville and, and the Commonwealth of Virginia. So my solution to that was to go back up in there into Virginia and stage a protest. I advertised for it. And Scoop, uh, he, he seemed to kind of half-ass support that idea. I think he was kind of afraid to go back into Virginia uh, in, in light of what had happened there and all the problems and the lawsuits and everything. So what he actually told me was his words verbatim were is that he had a much better idea than going back into Charlottesville and it was going to work. Uh, with his, uh, uh, I guess what he was trying to do was trying to get the NSM out of the lawsuit is the way I took it on um, the federal civil lawsuit, the signs versus Kessler, as it were. And um, what uh, wound up materializing there in the weeks to come after that conversation was, I got a phone call from him one day, just uh, I saw his name pop up on my caller ID. And, and uh, I said, hello. And he says, I didn't sell the organization to a fucking okay, what's this all about? <laughs> Dare I ask? And, and apparently what had materialized is, is he actually, he had done that deal with James Hart Stern and he hadn't told me about it or anybody else uh, th that was in rank beneath me in the NSM. That was what his big secret and surprise was. And it sounds like the whole thing went amok. It sounds like Stern just took the organization uh, put himself as the president of the organization and then took off and tried to dismantle it uh, as he promised. And they went on for, I don't know how long, weeks. And Scoop had already went out publicly and said that he uh, basically bequeaths the organization to me. He would like me to run it uh, and said all these nice things about me. And he has all the utmost confidence in me. And then it turned into a tug of war in the state of Michigan where he had filed this. He would put me at the top of the organization and then Stern would turn around by mail and he would switch. I guess anybody can just go switch these names. So he put himself back as president and the, the, the laws up in that state leave a lot to be desired, I guess. I, I don't know how, how anybody can just, you know, it'd be like me going and, and saying, hey, I'm the new CEO of Apple computers. You know, it just, it, it seems completely stupid to me, but apparently this is how it works up there in that state. And it just back and forth, back and forth. Watch it's like, oh yeah, we got the NSM back again and I'm back on top grade. And I was like, you know what? This is completely stupid. So what I did is I incorporated the NSM down here in Florida and just said, you know what? We're going to do our own thing down here. And it worked. And then uh, as a result of that, I, I believe Stern uh, tried to file a lawsuit against Scoop um, 
myself and two other individuals. I think it was for $500 million in a California court. Uh, he, he had filed some type of lawsuit. That's what I had heard. I never actually got served with any paperwork, so I honestly don't know. But um, that's what I had heard through the grapevine, that he was trying to sue for $500 million. And here more recently, that lawsuit um, uh, after his death was uh, it was supposed to be carried on by his, um, his Jewish brethren there. But uh, apparently, I don't know if Stern didn't have as much money as he claimed or what happened, but it was eventually thrown out. And uh, the NSM still goes on today under my leadership with me at the top. What so did it feel? That, that shines a little light on that situation. Yeah, well, because I, I tried, to, I did try and read up on it and it was very intertwined in terms of not different people's truths because they kind of all said the same thing, but some things were vaguer than others, if you get what I mean. And um, uh, how did it feel to... I mean, because obviously you have these views of, of black people, and I know you, you keep on saying that I'm I'm too focused on the black people, but how did it feel to have a you know James Stern, a, a black man, in a superior position to you in your organization? I think it just feeds into what I said. Is there anything that black people can't steal? I mean, now they're trying to steal the Nazi organization. I mean, they steal everything if it's not bolted down. And, you know, everybody's praising him saying, well, you did a good thing out here. You're just doing It's exactly what we said black people do. They steal everything. And here's a perfect example. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know how else I can look at it. it it's not a, no, nobody in the NSM would ever I answer to a black guy. So there's no I mean, they would all just tell the organization to go to hell. And I, I'd, I'd be a liar if I said that I hadn't almost come to that point this close. To saying, you know what, this isn't getting resolved and me jumping ship too and saying he can just keep the organization. And ultimately, truth be known, to the best of my knowledge, he actually was successful in that. Because if you go to the Michigan records, what we call it, it's the LARA database up there in Michigan, and I can send you a link to it. He, even in death, is the head of the NSM Michigan. And it's listed still in Michigan, still, even today. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, his name is still at the top. How do does no one at the group go about changing that? I, I don't see any reason to. I'm not going to fight him in court over it. That organization, uh, as far well, as I'm concerned, died. So uh, this is an, a different organization. We just I'm, we use the the website address and maybe a couple other small details. The the uniform, you know, the insignia. But other than that, it's uh, neither here nor there. What happens to it? Well, I mean, he, he is he did pass away, so I mean, it's quite difficult to fight him in court over it. Um, <laughs> make it a little tough well that's what i keep on telling the charlottesville lawyers they keep on saying that i did all this stuff and i'm like well i said i think you need to talk to the head of the nsm detroit you know that's that's the guy that runs the organization they're like well that's james hart stern and he's dead oh well exactly go talk to him because i'm running an entirely different organization down here it's not it the name is even slightly different it's national socialist movement corporation whereas the one up in michigan is just national socialist movement so there, there are some variations there a bit of a left field question, but it was, it was something that, that popped into my head because you were talking way at the start, obviously, of us talking. I'll try not to keep us on too long as well because I know that you are busy. Um, as long as I can get them to my podcast by nine, I'm good. What time's it over there at the moment? It's just after six. Okay. I, I, I won't keep you too long, but the, um, yeah, you, you talked about growing up in, in New York in a, in a enclosed white community, mostly. Do you remember the first time you saw, I mean, I was going to say a black person, but I mean, any person of, of ethnicity? It would have been a black person. Um, 
is the first person outside of the white race that I had seen. Yeah, I, I've told this story a couple of times. I don't mind sharing that at all. Um, the uh, would have been at a Catholic private school up there located in Lewiston, New York, which is just outside Niagara Falls. And they were, I, I don't exactly, it was just one black kid. I don't exactly know why he was there. If his father was just hardworking and, and wanted him to go to private school or if the state subsidized it, I don't know. I couldn't tell you to this day, but I do know that he was there. Um, and then came one, came two, came three. And um, they, I, when I looked at them initially, I, I thought to myself, I really wasn't all that surprised when I looked at them. I'm much like you, you know, I've just said uh, basically that they're, they, they're like us. You know, they're, they're people too. They're just, uh, they're different than us uh, in, in terms of skin color. Other than that, they'll be exactly like us. They'll like all the same things that we like, et cetera, et cetera. And the more I got around these children, they were violent. They were cruel. Um, we had nothing in common with them. We had none of the same likes or dislikes. And it's fair to say that not all white people are going to have the same likes and dislikes either, but it was incredible how radically different it was between the whites and the um the blacks that were there is that not just a mixing of not to cut you off i do do want you to continue but would you not say that that's just a mixing of cultures especially in 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 america where there is such a divide and there was i mean there was legal segregation um do you not feel like that's just a difference in cultures and you just get past those likes and dislikes it's not a reason to hate someone Possibly, but we run into a problem when that difference of cultures turns into violence. And that's where we're going to have a problem. And when we get attacked, that's going to be a problem. How did it turn into violence? Well, just usually because of the differences. So if black people do something that, say, white people don't agree with, or uh, let's just say the, uh, I'm just going to go, uh, throw a hypothetical situation. I didn't actually see this, but I mean, just hypothetically, if a black child was to say, let's go steal the the money from the nuns and a white child was to say, no, you shouldn't do that. That's stealing. And the white child goes and reports the black child to the nun. And then the black child gets in trouble for, for, for stealing the money. And then the black child turns around and beats the crap out of the white kid that snitched on him. I mean, you know, this, this is kind of where I'm going with this here. It's, it's when it turns into violence, people can do what they want, but when they, when it turns into violence, that's where we cross the line. And that did actually happen in my situation. So, the, so what, wait, what happened in your situation? You were... Well, I, I just over the years, not to, you know, not to go on one particular incident, like I said, the one I just mentioned, the aforementioned is hypothetical. I didn't actually see that. That's just, I was just putting it out there. But um, what would happen in my situation, what I actually did see growing up in the latter years after that, aside of the fact that I had nothing in common with these children, I'd just be like, you know, I'll stay away from them. I, these are makes no difference that they're black or white. I just don't have anything in common with them. So I don't want to be around people I don't have anything in common with. Um, So later on, though, what I would be exposed to in the schools is I would see um, white children, white, I say children, white uh, teenagers um, that would supposedly have said something, you know, this one said something about this one's mother. And next thing you know, I've got 30, 40 black kids beating up on one white kid in the schools, particularly in Niagara Falls and Buffalo area. And that got to be commonplace. They would just come in and there was no, I mean, it wasn't like this was just one white person who had a problem with one black person. I'm talking 30, 40, 50 black kids come in and jumping on one white kid. There's nothing fair about that. And that's not a way to just, just, you know, to settle differences, but this is what they do. If you flip that around though, flip the races around, that's like the story of of Emmett Till or or any of the the lynchings that happened in the fifties and sixties, surely. 
So this, so we're we're trying to say that this is some type of a revenge for that? Or? No, no, no. That, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you're horrified by this ganging up of the races on one white kid by you know the savage black kids who, who are trying to uh, beat up this white kid. But then you flip it round. There were you know mobs of loads of white people. Most of, I mean, in the case of Emmett Till, adult white people ganging up on one black child and disfiguring his face to a level where I can you see that that's you, what happened. I, we're, we're, back, we're, we're back into that hypothetical yeah, stuff. Frank, again. I don't get what you mean, but that, it, we, we, we weren't there. We don't know that that's what happened. Do you, do you believe in any news? Because you don't have, if you're not there, you know, so it's, if news happens in Iran, right, or the Lebanon, right, in Be- in Beirut, big, huge explosion captured everywhere. You weren't in the Lebanon. Did that explosion happen? It might have. I'm very skeptical. How? But it did. <laughs> it, it, you can't take everything that you see as fact. There are some things that I accept as fact. Others don't. That's just that's my opinion. That doesn't necessarily make it so. But I have to, I, I'm very skeptical and I'm becoming, people like myself and others are becoming more and more skeptical because the news today is so full of lies. And it is pure lies, blatant lies. I, I mean, just this Charlottesville lawsuit alone, if I don't see anything else in my life, I've seen enough lies in that federal lawsuit when they've deposed me, uh, not once, but twice. And the things that they have asked me, I've seen enough lies in that by Jews to last me for the rest of my life. If I, if I don't ever take another piece of news media out there uh, that's uh, um, being provoked by Jews out there, I, I've seen enough right there all by itself. Say, say if, if you're skeptical about the explosion in, in the Lebanon, if that's just standard news with no reason for, for anyone to lie about it, it's just a thing that has happened. Well, that could be, there could be a motive behind that, though. Maybe not a racial motive. It could be a, something where the Israelis want the U.S. government or the British government or the European Union to get involved in a war, and they're saying that all these terrible things are happening out there. It wasn't so even they, in Israel. It was in the Lebanon, and it was a right. warehouse that accidentally blew up. Right, and I did hear that story, and I know what you're talking about. Um, and it probably did happen. But again, I'm going to be skeptical and say, I don't know what happened because I wasn't there, and I don't have enough evidence. What about the... I like this game. What about the Fun, <laughs> the 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 volcano in 2011 in Iceland that erupted? Interesting uh, that you bring that up. I was actually on the planes that were coming to and from Europe and the Middle East when that was going on. Oh, so- yeah, I was flying on KLLM Royal Dutch Airlines. I was flying out of um, uh, would have been Memphis at the time, and I flew. We, you know, obviously they don't go in a straight line; they go over the pole. And I've had several flights canceled. Uh, because of the volcanoes that were erupting back then. Oh wow! So, so, so you have evidence so that did happen. Uh, well, that or they were parking the airplane for no apparent reason. I I can't figure out which. I I don't see any reason for them to lie about it though. I mean, that would just hurt the airlines and their revenue. So it seemed like their interest was in the public safety. So it, I'd venture to say yes, it probably did happen. Okay. Okay. That 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 makes. I I'm just interested in in your stance not to be um patronizing or anything just if, if i can find some kind of an angle on it to where there's a beneficiary to it i'm going to be very skeptical to it i guess that's fair to say 
why do you think that's drilled into you? Um, I think I had a lot of these, I, I, just to put it into perspective, I, I didn't really, my issue uh, bef long before I ever got involved with the movement was with black people, specifically black African-Americans. Um, I hated them. And I still, uh, you can call it what you want. I tend to call it hate. It's a bit of hate. I have that in me. I don't, I don't think it's consumed to me uh, because I tend to look at people um, who you hate is holding on to a ball of fire and it's something that you never throw at somebody. And that's not how I feel. It doesn't consume me and my life in that fashion. Um, so uh, I'm sorry, g give me the question one more time. I kind of got off. I, off it, there. it was more about your, your skepticism. Uh, why is that drilled into you? Okay. And then Charlottesville happened and any doubts that I had. Um, okay. Let me get back on point here. My, my brain's kind of wandering a little bit. Mm -hmm. So bear with me here. When I did Charlottesville and prior to Charlottesville, the, the deposition for the lawsuits, I, I didn't like black people and I still don't, but I had to figure out why I was being exposed to this, why that was happening. And when I peeled back the layers, I kept on coming back to the Jew, the Jew, the Jew, the Jew. Every time I turned around, it was something to do with Jews. And I had nothing against Jewish people per se, much like yourself. I didn't, you know, I'm like, why, you know, these are just people that are doing their own thing. They're minding their own business, maybe a little richer uh, and more successful than the other people. But why, you know, why are all these white nationalists so hard on them? And I couldn't figure it out. And then I started listening more to what they were saying and pointing out, I'm like, you know, sell this to me. Help me understand why uh, Jewish people are doing this. And um, they pointed stuff, stuff out. I researched it. And I fact-checked it and realized that what they're saying is true. I kept on seeing all these Jewish names that I'd never even given a second thought to before they were coming up in the media and Hollywood and everywhere else. Um, Q Charlottesville and the depositions that I had to do. I mean, I, I I've been threatened by these federal courts. I've been forced to give over all my electronic devices for an event that, for an organization that I was not only a part of at that time, I was not there, as I told you earlier, I was not in that city. And they've tried to do everything that they can possibly do to place me in Charlottesville. And I simply was not there. I didn't even know about it. The truth be known, what actually happened that day is we did have a member who, who was active in the organization, but was not in Charlottesville. Coincidentally, I just picked up the phone the day Charlottesville happened, made a casual phone call and said, hey, buddy, what's going on? And he, he said, oh, I don't know anything about it. And I said, you don't know anything about what? And he says, Charlottesville. I said, what's going on in Charlotte? He said, not Charlotte. He said, Charlottesville. I said, where the hell is Charlottesville? He said, that's in Virginia. I said, I'd never even heard of it before. He says, well, they're riding up there right now and they're trying to get people to safety right now. The Antifa and the black people are attacking them. I got to go. And that's the most I could have told you about Charlottesville that day. Nonetheless, these Jews, and these are Jews. That's not a myth. That's a fact. You can look up these people that are hitting this federal lawsuit are out there trying to place me in Charlottesville. Try, the judge has ordered me to answer on behalf of NSM Detroit, which, like I said, I was not a member of, and I've never been to Charlottesville in my life. So you should, you could hear these depositions uh, when they ask me these questions. Uh, did you get hotel rooms for everybody there that night, Mr. Colucci? No. Why not? Because I wasn't there. I have no information. And this is the, the stupidest thing I've ever seen. They keep on asking me all these questions about Charlottesville, and my answer is, I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't answer these questions. And it's like they're they're angry and, and they're coming, they're using it to come after me because I run the largest, most successful national socialist, you know, organization in America right now. So as badly as they want this to be, 
about me and my organization now, I just wasn't there. And most of the people in my organization weren't there. And that that's very much frustrating them. And they very much want me to be, you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? You know, I, I you know, as, as much as we'll disagree on stuff, I, I can hundred percent, uh, because you're, you're a part of a group. I mean, that, that is classified as a, as a hate group by, uh, you know, the, the SPLC. Yeah. The, the agencies would, would try and pin up the, the leader or, or the, and you were chief of staff at the time, or you, you were a senior member. I, I wasn't even chief of staff at the time, Charlottesville. I was an inactive member when that happened. It was post Charlottesville that I became chief of staff. Well, I, I can, I can see the point that you're making in terms of the agencies would try and pin up as many people of this group that they want to get rid of as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do find it interesting that your your skepticism is rooted in the all the lawyers or the people doing the lawsuits were were jewish though i wouldn't say it's rooted in that but i'd say that's definitely been fertilizer that's definitely and any if i had any doubts prior to what i've heard and the questions that they've asked me and the things that they've thrown at me during those depositions to where i've had to swear under oath that i'm telling the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth um the, the things that they've said have been absolutely surreal you started off that point before basically saying that you hated black people and then it led on to uh you know saying saying that the jewish people were were stitching you up i mean this might seem like a crass question but is there a group that you dislike more than black african americans or jews what either one of the two or who comes top of the the hate list for For me personally i say black african americans what's the reason for that just because I, I've, I've, I know them, I've been around them, I know how they are, I know what they're, um, what they're about, and I just don't like them. Do you, you believe know? the 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 quote unquote evidence that was put on the the website that the black people are evolved differently? Yeah, I didn't actually write that, but um, yes, I believe that to be true why (laughs) well you can look at us i mean there's basic i mean skin color is the least of the differences i know they like to say that's the only difference but i mean we've got cultural differences and we've got different dislikes and dislikes there's there's uh, many of things that separate us i mean hell all white people aren't even the same but all black people aren't all the same it's not fair to say all white people and black people are the same i don't think that's evolution what i'm getting at is is on the website it says that that black people are a unique subspecies um I think it's black people are unique subspecies filled with like hatred or, or something or harmful filled with violence and that they're only suited for living in Africa. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, un, I don't understand the, the evolutionary reasonings behind it because I mean like black people, even if you don't, if it's African-Americans, I mean, black people live in the UK just fine. We have huge black communities. We have the... Your black people there that you're dealing with in the UK, from what I can tell, and this is just from what I can tell, it doesn't make it factual. You're dealing with a different type of black person over there than we're dealing with here in the United States. I, I, I noticed it seems like over there in the UK, at least this is just, you know, like I said, my perspective and what I've seen from the black people, they're, they're an entirely different um, mindset. From an evolutionary standpoint or from a cultural standpoint? Just 
I, I can't say one way or the other on that. I'm just saying what I see that they seem their behavior is different over there in the UK. I don't know if it's maybe because they're raised differently over there, but they don't seem to be as angry over there in, in England and most of the UK than, than they are here. These people here are, are angry and they want to kill white people. That's I mean, what, that, what's different. In, in, in terms of wanting to kill white people, I think that's debatable. Uh, but I think they have every right to be angry. I think the, 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 the main difference is that a lot of the huge black communities in the UK or the Bain communities, they're all... Uh, in in the mainly in the fifties with Windrush and in the sixties we, we uh, opened our our borders to the Commonwealth and invited loads of people from the Caribbean over and and parts of Africa and then now there's this huge you British people are just so terrible shame on you all you white people for doing that and they and they came and they saved the NHS because we have free healthcare over here they 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 were all you know Caribbean doctors that saved the NHS. We, we had so many, and, and but they were greeted with with racism, maybe not to, I mean, maybe not to the extent of the American racism. Like that's debatable. It's something that historians debate on, mm -hmm. um, even though it's, I mean, it was only what eighty years ago, seventy years ago. But whereas in America, I, I mean, assisted by British colonialism, black people from Africa were forcibly taken over. I mean, I, I come from like near Liverpool, Liverpool was built on a slave trade. Uh, we have the docks there that all the money was built from shipping the slaves over to America. There is that shared communal resentment to the fact that most, most African-Americans don't know who their great, great, great grandparents are because their entire history was wiped. They, the, most can't tell you what, what country they they originate from isn't like they're, they're listening to the ones here in the united states they're all from wakanda that's what we get told over here so this is what we're dealing with here in america just to give you some insight <laughs> i know it sounds stupid but this is what we have to hear that their their relatives are all from wakanda and it was my understanding that what you're talking about in liverpool the builders of ships like titanic olympic uh, White Star Line, et cetera, et cetera. Those were Irish slaves, were they not? No, I'm not on. I'm not on about building the the ships. I mean, the the White Star Line. They weren't Irish slaves. They were Irish workers. There was there was a huge Irish population. I'm talking about. I mean, regard regardless about that. That's not what I was on about. I'm on about the actual dock in the 1700s. Uh, Albert Dock was was built on. I mean, we have the National Slavery Museum in in Liverpool. Um, because because uh, the city was built on slave money, and it's important to remember that. On the on the most part, there are, there were other industries, but well, what's your part, solution for that? To give all the money back to the slaves? Well, the, the, no. What, I, what I'm saying is that w w the British people, we the people in our uh, the, the black kind of communities in our country, aren't. They, I mean, they might be, but on the most part, they came to Britain by invitation in when we opened it up in the 50s and 60s to win russian and try to get people from the commonwealth i'm not saying they were treated right at all um and still on on the moment we had a, the Windrush scandal a couple of years ago but in america a lot there's a shared identity uh i mean paul gilroy calls it the black atlantic where black people feel forcibly resentful for the fact that they were ripped away from 
where they would have been. I mean, because you talk about send them all back to Africa. One, what parts of Africa? Because they were all ripped from different parts and no one knows. They were free. They should be able to choose that for themselves. What would they choose? If they wanted to go, they don't want to go back to Africa. Let's be honest here, because they have it too good here in the United States now. Because that's their home in the United States. Yeah, it's debatable uh, whether it's not their their home or not. I don't think that's the issue. The issue is is that they're destroying the country and they're committing mass violence and murder. What? I not. I again, I disagree. I, I, I hesitated there because I feel like it was a bit redundant for me to say no, they're not because we're just gonna get into a yes and no because you know that they are and no, i know that they are no because they're not though and if there, there is a small i think there are societal reasons why there are more black people in prison and i don't i personally don't feel like that's african-americans fault that there's more african-americans in prison you will disagree we'll get into a, a, you know not a shouting match over it because we're both very respectful sure um I, I, I get I, I don't get where you're coming from in terms of I, un, I, I understand your thought process. the reason I wanted to get you on and speak to you is because I wanted to understand how, why you why you and, and the organization think that not to relate to it or to agree or whatever well it, it's not complicated I mean you've got a group of people out here who want us dead so it's not hard to understand what the counter is to that and that's basically I, where we are that just that's it in a nutshell but I think it's hard when you are self-proclaimed Nazis and the Nazis were groups that wanted ethnic groups dead. We're a group, sorry, that wanted ethnic groups dead. I don't know if I'd agree with that. I mean, they, they say that today, uh, the truth, you know, the, the victor in a war is the one who writes the, the history books. So that's, so we could easily pick up a book and say that the fact of the matter is, is that the Waffen SS was the most diverse force on the, on the face of the planet, even to this day. So it's, it's hard to sit there and say that they're all a bunch of racist and white supremacists. Uh, the, the, the thing is that if you, you want to, you're on about the victor writes the history books, the victor would, if in, in Nazi Germany's case, if, if the Nazis had taken over the history books would be like, we eradicated the Jewish population. Isn't that great? And everyone would probably go yes, because it's this shared identity. The, the world, I mean, sure. You know, I agree with that, and they the British would be labeled they, as horrible, and the Americans would have been horrible. And but you agree, you agree then that they were exterminating Jews? I don't know. I don't have any factual evidence to say that they were exterminating Jews. Is it possible? Yes, it's very possible. Can I confirm that? No. I think there there will be a lot of people in in especially in Poland or around Europe who probably could confirm that for you. Well, what I don't understand about Europe is, is that I'm not sure about in England, but I know in many countries, especially Germany and probably Austria, it's illegal to even so much as question the Holocaust. Now, if something is true, why do they have to pass laws that say that you're not even allowed to question it and then incarcerate you if you do? Because it's defined as hate speech. And that's the difference between every other country in the world and America is that in America, you're protected by the First Amendment, right? So you can stand there or, or sit there and just say to me, I mean, you're not, you're not flat out denying it, but you're saying, oh, it might not have happened. Or, you know, you, you can also say to me that black people, um, you know, that, that you hate black people and that they're apes and that they're not uh, as as smart as white people. But in, in, the, in Britain and in any, I mean, especially Germany, who are very sensitive about the subject, is, as soon as you start saying that kind of stuff, 
it's inciting hatred and is in his <laughs> ban for that reason that's, that's so bad i mean what i mean it's everybody's god-given right to to say whether they hate or dislike i mean it's like no different than saying that your mother makes you wear this ugly yellow shirt to school every day you hate the shirt it's not personal it's just uh you don't want to wear it and so if something is it if it's factual, then why are you being forced to do it? Because at the, the yellow shirt doesn't have the N-word on Bert. Why, why is that an exception, though? Because, I mean, you, you talked about God-given right. I mean, personally, I don't believe in God. So I don't believe he's given me any right to go out and call someone, you know, the N-word or to say... Oh, wow, that. that's, that's incredible. That you actually... I mean, I'm, I'm not beating on it. I'm just saying that you actually believe in this, this people's rights being oppressed more than the Almighty. That's interesting. I, I hadn't heard that before. The Almighty, though, where? I mean, where in the in the Bible does it say? No, I'm not. I, hey, where is an organization? I mean, I'm a Christian, well, but I, I'm also a minority. Well, so I, I mean, there are many people in the organization. I mean, we've got people who are Odinists. We've got people who are creators. We have people who are atheists. We have all walks, as long as they're not Jews. I mean, we we don't care how they how they pray or what they do. They can think whatever they want. I think that's quite. Because I, I did, I listened to to one of the radio broadcasts, and um, that that was one of the things at the start was that they. It, I'm not sure if it, I don't think it was you. I think it was it was someone called Joe. Started a started oh, with a, Gibson. yeah yeah started with a a, a a passage from the Bible, but kind of prefaced it by saying, you know, we're all we're, we're from all walks of life, bar Jewish essentially. <laughs> you know, we're from all all kinds of uh, religious uh, beliefs. And then, but I mean, your your God, the, the Almighty, the one that you believe in, is that not the same as as the Jewish God? No. But, but I mean, scripturally, it is. I don't see it that way. In in the in the, I mean in the Bibles, it, I mean again, I don't again, I don't, I mean maybe well, I'm we, talking out of turn because I don't. We don't I can simplify it for you, just to you know to to kind of paraphrase it instead of getting into all the Bible verses and everything like that. The difference between the way I think and the way Jews think is there's some fundamental differences there. They believe that Jesus Christ is boiling in a cesspool in hell and that their Messiah has yet to come. Whereas most Christians will believe that Jesus was there, if you want to use that word Messiah. Um, so that that's the difference between us and them. Now, we, we've actually, Christians actually have more in common with other faiths out there. I hesitate to say Muslims. Muslim in, in the Islam religion, they actually believe that they don't believe that Jesus Christ was their quote unquote Messiah, mm. but they do believe he was a person of high stature and a prophet. So that all by itself, if nothing else, their, their Christianity and Islam have that much in common where they can agree that he was a very important person. But when you get into Jews, that's why I don't understand these Judeo Christians when they come out and say, well, if Israel falls, then that's just going to be the end of days as far as Christian, you know, Israel didn't even exist as a country until what was it? 1949 post-World War II. So if anything, you know, and they've stolen all this land from the Palestinians over there with their tanks and their guns and their bombs and everything else and going over there and pushed all the Palestinians off the land. So I, I guess I don't understand that there's really, for, for a Christian to go out there and say, hey, we nailed your Messiah to a cross here and we did it doing using the same tactics that we use today. We use bribery and money and power and politics to persuade the Romans to do this stuff then you see where i'm going with that does that make sense i i, I see your, your your thought process behind it i mean again i i, feel, I do feel like i'm talking out of turn in terms of uh 
because I mean, I would, I would go as far to say I'm not religious, but I'm a fan of religion. Sure. I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I mean, if you, if you looked at any of my podcasts, most of it is, is cults and and sp- spiritual kind of beliefs and and that kind of stuff. It, it does fascinate me. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah. I'm not. Hey, whatever anybody wants to think, you know, that's whatever makes them get up in the morning. The way I see it unless they believe in Yahweh. Well, if it's anything to do with Jews and Jewish faith, then it involves embezzling and stealing money and bringing uh, 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 things like uh, pigeons and that into the temple and having Jesus flip over the, the tables and everything else. Then no, I'm not going to be money is, is not something that I need the way Jews need it. I don't need the money to prove that I'm a man. Can I ask you a question that I don't want to seem blunt or, or trying to paint you out with something but would you um would you be doing this interview if you knew full well i was jewish or i was black sure just to have that dialogue or oh i don't have a problem with debating anybody in any arena i mean politically or otherwise i give a damn less what color they are or what their ethnicity is um the one that i did from australia i i kind of suspected that she was a homosexual Uh, She did a good job trying to hide it, but I I could, I could still kind of tell she was a little masculine. So I didn't falter for it. We had a nice conversation and she was very pleasant and respectful. Could you not be a white supremacist and gay? Uh, You could be, you couldn't be in this organization though. Fair enough. Um, I I, I will end because we have been talking for ages, but I do want to say that I have enjoyed speaking to you. Likewise. In a, a, yeah, I, 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 it's, Again, the reason I wanted to get you on is because I wanted to, to the way I, the way I'm wording it maybe sounds like I'm I'm trying to inspect you or whatever. I'm not. I just find it interesting, especially from America, where it's different beliefs anyway, in America and, and different kind of cranial wiring into how the world works. Just yeah, Americans little... Americans are known as being kind of uh, arrogant, I guess, compared to the rest of the world. We we are very much set in our ways. I think it's more the blind patriotism. I mean, because you pull, pulled me up on, are you not proud to be in British? And uh, my answer is no, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I mean, I'm, I'm British. I, I class myself as British to you, but if someone asked me in, in England uh, or Britain, am I, do I class myself as British? I'd say no. I think if you leave your country, I think you will see that. It took me um, leaving America to realize just how good in, in a lot of cases we have it here. Uh, oh. When I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I mean, things, I mean, we would get shot at, I would get blown up with IEDs and the sound of an American tank coming to save your ass. There's no sweeter sound than that. And it's just like, it had the American colors on the back. Like, thank you. God bless America. How, co- <laughs> how come you were in Iraq? I was a defense contractor over there uh, for the U.S. Department of Defense. And um, I did it uh, a couple different, two, three different tours over there, Iraq for several years and Afghanistan for a short span. So um, I basically did the job um, that the military just didn't want to do. So they paid us to do it. And they paid us quite handsomely uh, to go out there. And uh, I was on, I was actually the head of the recovery team out there for two major defense contractors. So uh, if a, let's say a tank broke down or got hit or blown up or a commercial vehicle, hauling food for the soldiers got broke down. Didn't matter what it was, if it was on wheels or tracks, it didn't get left outside the US bases, the NATO bases there. So it had to be brought back either in as a whole or in pieces, it got brought back. Were you a member of the NSM when you were sent out there? Uh, I had already been in the past, but I wasn't an active member at that time, no. 
Okay. I, I just thought that was just for the fact that it was classified as a, as a hate group, just in terms of the background checks and that. Um, yeah, yeah, they they weren't uh, really looking for stuff like that because it's not an issue. I mean, at least for me, it was. I mean, I I don't, uh, regardless of what ideologies I espoused, I was being paid to do a job. I wasn't there to uh, stand on a soapbox and and preach politics. You know, that's the last thing they wanted to pay me to do. So you just go over there, you do your job, you keep your mouth shut, and that's pretty oh, much what. Well, I the only reason it popped into my mind is because the last person I spoke to on the podcast was a, uh, a girl who left the was formerly in the Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, yeah. And and left and defected from the Westboro Baptist Church and joined the military, uh, and had to go under so many because obviously they famously hate the military and was banned from flying anywhere, anywhere abroad. So I had to get all these boxes untipped, uh, basically, you know, to allow her to fly. Uh, that's what's right. Yeah, Westboro Baptist, yeah, they're not uh, real respectful to U.S. soldiers. I've heard some of their rhetoric. I understand what they're saying, and they're angry. You know, they say God punishes homosexuals. But what I couldn't connect the dots on with them is why they were protesting specific dead soldiers' funerals. They would show up there and they would hold their signs. And in most cases, I would find that the soldiers weren't even gay themselves, that they were protesting. I'm like, why? It's, it, it's, it's to do with the fact that if, if someone dies before um, the second coming of Jesus Christ, then they were probably going to hell. I think that's the, the kind of thought process. But it did really... I mean, that's the, that's the reaction of most people. But it really interests me that you said they're not very respectful. No, that's not something I would ever consider doing. That's terrible. I, I don't care who it is. I would never do something like that. What about if it, was a, if it was a black person or a Jewish person? I wouldn't do it. You wouldn't pick it someone's funeral? No. No. That's terrible. I, I, I mean, you know, I, I didn't think you would. Uh, I, I just wanted to see your stance on it. But what I, I wanted to finally... finally ask you and then I'll, I'll wrap up um because i mean you at the moment you're planning a, a rally in phoenix aren't you yes is that just a, a standard i don't know nsm rally? We, we try to do them once a year in the past we've done them twice a year our rhythm got kind of screwed up with the whole transition of the organization or i say transition you know when it was basically stern took charge of the nsm detroit and i founded nsm florida um it, it, it really screwed up our schedule. So I think it was the first year we did an event. Um, well, we did Detroit in 2019. That would have been our first event. And it was a huge success uh, internationally uh, for just showing up um, a dozen or so people. Um, and then the event to follow that was Williamsport, Pennsylvania, which would have been July, maybe the following year, last year. And um, that was a success as well. Um, what do you and, class as a success? Just... I, I personally, you could ask different people that. I mean, it's all about showing up and 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 having a good time and and just having that uh, that white camaraderie. But at the same time, they a lot of people and myself included would probably classify it as how big it hits the press. Um, I like for Detroit, we made BuzzFeed, and to make BuzzFeed, and I mean, we made news for Detroit just for. I mean, we we mobilized maybe 14, 15 people, and we made international news. Everything from. Uh, the United States, Canada, all the way over to the Middle East and Tel Aviv and everywhere in between. I mean, the Jews were going absolutely crazy over Detroit because we showed up and we picketed a, um, a gay pride event. So, and it just, it made a big impression and everybody's like, wow, these guys, you know, they're badass. They went through the middle of Detroit and, you know, they're like, who does that? I mean, Detroit's a ghetto and, you know, you get shot there and we did it with 14 people. So it was, it was maximum efficiency. So it worked out well. Well, what I wanted to ask is what, I mean, cause I've, I've looked, through the the kind of it's not the manifesto but the kind of the aims of the, of the party 
to bring back segregation um, and kind yeah basically make a white society what is the future of the nsm uncertain uh what what we do is going to be contingent on how everybody else reacts to it if you had to ask me right now i would say the goal of this party is is to bridge the gap between conservative americans and national socialists and make them understand that as trump supporters uh, or prior Trump supporters, obviously, now that Trump's no longer in office and this whole QAnon bit and everything else that's completely daft, if you ask me, uh, to make them understand that that stuff is not going to work and that they need to take that extra step into national socialism. And it seems to be working. Uh, people are testing the waters. They are saying, you know what, I can't do this whole QAnon bit anymore. And this Trump's going to come out of the hills and take over the presidency of the Oval Office again. And it's just not going to happen. So they understand that uh, more is needed. So it's an extreme situation and obviously extreme situations require extreme measures. So uh, where we go after that uh, depends on how successful we are, how big we get, and we are growing. Just what, I just wanted to pick you up on something you said when you said extreme actions need extreme responses. What do you mean by extreme responses? It means that we basically are trying to encourage people to step softly, but carry a big stick. Um, they shouldn't go out looking for trouble, but if trouble comes looking for them, make sure trouble finds trouble. Uh, and a lot of people are being singled out out there just because of the color of their skin and for no other reason. Um, I personally don't feel any responsibility. Uh, my family wasn't even in this country back in the days that um, all this slave reparation stuff uh, is, is being spoken of. I certainly don't feel any obligation to pay people of color any reparations. And if they do that, what's going to happen is, is that's going to feed into my narrative because that is going to fuel and fan the flames of anger and hatred in this country to black people. And these white people are gonna get tired of being called racist and they're finally gonna just come unhinged one day and say, you know what, wish granted. And they're going to do it. And they're actually gonna do what they're being accused of being. And honestly, I don't think that they're doing it right now. They call Donald Trump racist constantly. I see these white people racist constantly. I honestly don't think they're doing it. Do they always get along? No. But to classify it as racism, I think that's a stretch. I think that's over the line. But if they keep on doing it and provoking it the way they are, they're going to get what they want. And it's not going to be pretty. Well, we'll end on that really happy clapping note. But okay. <laughs> um, I, it's, it's been an, an interesting one, but I it, it has been uh, an experience to speak to you. And I, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope you have too. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, that I, I, one thing I'll take from it is the uh, the British patriot patriotism versus the American patriotism. I thought that was probably the most interesting detail of the conversation. Yeah, I, I hope you have, you know, a, a great rest of your night with your podcast and stuff. Oh, you as well. You take care. Thank you. Uh, peace and love and all that. Take care. Take care. Bye.